Blessings to everybody. You know, we're moving right into this series called Experience Growth, and I'm going to be talking about growth, but I want to also remind us there are specific avenues in which we can do it if we're serious. Now, Paul was writing to a young pastor named Timothy. We're going to look at what he said and then hopefully challenge ourselves around it. But let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll share this word together. Lord, I just again, I'm just extraordinarily grateful for just what you're doing in people's lives. And uh, I pray that by the time you know, we're done with, with this sharing, that our hearts would be more inclined to want to serve you with a greater degree of, of seriousness, that we would seek not just to, to, to know you in a, in a way that would give us the opportunity to, to live in your promises beyond this life, but that there would also be something of a yearning and a hunger inside of our heart that would want to grow, that we want to be an example for you. We're not perfect. We never will be. We're acutely aware of our own shortcomings, and yet we know that your grace can work in our lives and that you're calling us to a growing place. And maybe some of us this season, we really hear your voice speaking to us about committing ourselves in an intentional way to get on the growing path. So I want to pray for your hand to just be with us, your blessing to be upon us as we share this word together. I ask that we would think well in Jesus' name. Amen, God. All right, 1 Timothy 4, 12 is in your hand. I want to just look at that verse real quickly. Paul writes this to young Timothy. Remember, Timothy is like a son in the faith to Paul. He is um, he's like a, a young pastor. And Paul says, listen, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. We know Timothy was around 30. Uh, he was dealing with people who were older than him. You know, I... I mentioned this last week, how intimidating it can be. You know, I remember when I was starting out as a pastor, I was, I was 25, and it was really hard because you feel, you felt intimidated um, by people who, who had experienced life. And even though you knew the scriptures and maybe knew things, principally speaking, there was some experiential component to it that you felt deficient in or at least less qualified in. And in Timothy's case, he appears to have been a young man um, who was also uh, somewhat passive, if I can put it that way. He, he, at least he came across as less than assertive. So maybe there was a part of Timothy that both demeanor-wise and because of his age was reluctant to step forward. And what Paul was trying to encourage him to do was to not allow anything to get in the way of him pursuing a vibrant life uh, of, of faith in God that allowed him to be an example so he was really trying to encourage him. In fact, he, he lists five things that he wants him to be an example. And we're going to talk about those five spheres of growth in a moment. But he says, I want you to seek to be an example to the believers, not just to a, a, a section of them, but to everyone who, who you contact, come into contact with. I want you to be an example in the way in which you say things, in the way in which you construct your life, your life, in your, faith, in your love and in your faith and in your purity. And he really is appealing to him. Because one of the things about Timothy is we know this. There was something very genuine and authentic about him. We know this because in the second letter to Timothy, in the first chapter, I think it's the fifth verse, Paul writes this. He says, I want you, I, first off, he says, I remember you, and I, I have a tremendous admiration for you, Timothy, because one of the things about you is this. You have a genuine faith. You have a genuineness to your faith. You're not a pretentious person. There there's an authenticity and a sincerity to your love for God. In fact, he says, I know where it came from, at least in part. Paul says, I think it started with your grandmother. 
And he mentions her name, Lois, and then your mother, Eunice, who also seem to have this kind of vibrant, authentic faith in their life. And clearly, you share it. It's affected you in a positive way. And we see here, you know, we often talk about the, the damaging effects of generational transference when sort of damage is passed down a family line. But there's also such a thing as a generational transference of blessing. We often are aware of the, the generational transference of dysfunction. And many of us are struggling through certain things that we kind of had, had sort of modeled for us that are not life-giving. But a lot of us were given a real blessing of someone who had a vibrant love for God. And that has affected our lives in a significant way. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, you're a person of genuine, authentic faith in Jesus. And I want you to not pull back or make excuses about why you can't step up. Instead, I want to challenge you to consider living your life as an example. And I thought in my mind about all of the, the things that sometimes intimidate us or at least the excuses sometimes we come up with when, when we're maybe being challenged about thinking, about moving forward in a growing way with God. And I've talked to a lot of people over the years and, and even my own heart sometimes. I know that, that, that sometimes we... We feel like, well, you know, in Timothy's case, it was youthfulness, but sometimes some of us might feel, well, you know, I, I, you know, I just kind of, I have, I have stuff in my past. It's sort of, it's, you know, I feel a little bit like disqualified from really doing this thing too intensely, or maybe I've got things going on that I feel a little bit insecure about, and so I, I don't know if I want to step forward into that, or maybe we've got ongoing things. Maybe there are struggles that we have, and we feel like we would be hypocritical, so although we are willing to come to a certain place with the Lord, we don't want to go too far. And I think the Lord would say to us, don't, don't allow those things to get in the way of what I want to do in your life. It's like Paul was trying to tell Timothy, don't be afraid to step up. Instead, I want you to, to seek to set a pace in your life that's going to positively affect other people to cause them to want to love me better and to maybe sometimes be affected by my reality in a way that would have never happened if you weren't willing to set that tone and to be an example and contend for things in your own life. And so I think a lot of times we, we allow our fears to get in the way of what God's wanting to call us up to. And, and I really want to say that some of us, we sort of have we've kind of put a lid on how far we're going to go with Jesus. And I think the Lord wants to bust that lid open in some of our lives. So whatever else has been, let me tell you what I'm wanting to call you into. I want you to be open to seeing what I can do if you really apply yourself to knowing and loving me and even accepting responsibility on my behalf. I don't want you, it's like the Lord would say, I don't want you to underestimate the potential impact of your life. Sometimes on little, on little ones, children, on people we work with, on family members, like I saw in my own life, I saw, wow, Lord, three decades, and all of a sudden, wow, the door opens. We don't know. I know this, God cares about the quality of our life with him, and he's calling a lot of us into a growing place, a place we've never been before in him, or at least we haven't been back for a while to. So let's talk about those five spheres of progress, five areas of growth. Let's take a look at... He says, number one, he says, I want you to uh, think about, and I'm just going to put it up there. I want you to think about what it means to be an example in your speech. So speech in your communication patterns. 
I want you to be an example in what you say, how you talk. Uh, may the words that we speak be predominantly good words. You know, we, we live in an environment where there are so many mixed words. Some of us have been really affected by words that were spoken against us or to us or over us. Some of us are still living out of some words and we're still working through those words. Sometimes in anger, we can say things. We don't even mean them. We speak them. And then they come out of us and, and they do damage, great damage. Sometimes when we're hurt, we, our gut reaction is, I'm going to hurt you back. And we say something. We didn't even mean it, but we said it. And I know we can say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. But sometimes the damage is really, it's, it, it, it's, it's hard to just get that thing healthy again. Watch, we begin to watch our words. Some of us are, are um, careless at times with what we speak or how we relay things. Some of us, see, God wants a lot of us to be people who are noted for our, more for our encouraging words than our criticism. Some of us are really good at pointing out the flaw of something. <laughs> we have a gift, <laughs> gift of criticism, right? What is your gift? Oh, I have a gift of criticism. I, <laughs> And, we, and you know, I often say this, if we focus too much on the flaw of anything, we rob it of its capacity to bless us. And I know that for some of us, it's harder than others. Some of us, it, it's, it's like we, we, you know, we just say stuff. A lot of times someone, you know, the other question is, can people trust us? So I wouldn't tell them because if, if you share that with them, the odds are it's going to be shared because we have a problem with gossip. We like telling people things they don't know. And there's a certain kind of joy that comes from revealing something. But that can actually be unhelpful. The Lord wants some of us to be thoughtful about the words we speak. May the words of my mouth, the psalmist says, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. Some of us are immersed in profanity. We, we work around it all the time. Some people, it's, it's like part of their language. It's like a space filler. Just throw it, you know, and I'll tell you this. I, I'll tell you where a disconnect comes in. We come into the, uh, the church and we sing about Jesus and we say we love him and we speak about his name in a beautiful way, who he is to us. But then we're out in the, in the world, in our world, there's, there are so many times where his name is treated like, like dirt. It's just, it's, uh, even, not even intentionally, people just use it habitually to, to just say things that, that about them. And we just, it's like, and we're, and we're around it, and a lot of us grew up around it. And I'm going to say that, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be legalistic on this thing. I'm just saying this. When the Lord's working in our lives, it starts to show up in the way we talk. And maybe some of us, it's like the Lord is wanting us to learn how to be, without being self-righteous, but how to have wholesome speech. How to be, have speech that is dominated by benediction, good words, healthy words, to challenge our patterns. God cares about how we talk. God cares about our language. I remember Peter, there's no coincidence, when he was denying Jesus. He was trying to remind everybody when they said, hey, aren't you one of his followers? You remember how it went? He denied the Lord, but on the third time, he, he says he just started cursing. I don't know the man. He starts swearing, I don't know the man. And it was almost like all his old life just started bubbling right out of him. Words matter. God wants us to own our words, how we speak them to people, how we, how we represent him in this 
world of ours to the best of our abilities to be a people of good words, a people of blessing, not of cursing, not just retaliating with our words, which is so <laughs> easy to do. So Paul says, look, I want you to be, I want you to, to be a person who's careful with his words. Secondly, I want you to be a person who, here's a second sphere, I want you to be a person who thinks about how he lives his life or her life. And what I mean by that is, I'm talking about the way we live. Because I think you understand this. Whether or not you have a degree in engineering or are a trained architect, we're all architects. We're all builders. Whether we're a licensed contractor or not, we build our lives. We are the architects of our life. We build it. We make decisions, how we construct it, the foundations we lay, the rooms we add on. We are architects of life. And the Lord is saying to Timothy, through Timothy, really through Paul to Timothy, I want you to think about how you're building your life. I want you to think about the habits and the patterns and the routines uh, the contours of who you are as a person, the angles and the corners, the public and the private, do they match up? How are you living when no one sees? Is it differently than when everybody sees? I, you know, I, I've seen so many little ones. Um, uh, I'm watching them. There seems to be like a lot of people. Have, there are a lot of babies being born is what I'm saying. There's a lot of, I see a lot of children. And um, I... One of the things I know is this. The number one thing that's going to affect children when it comes to transferring faith to them is going to be, do they see a person who's consistent, not perfect, but consistent in their private world that's not different than who they are in their public world? Because I know a lot of people really been hurt because they saw one thing People showed themselves to be something outside when everybody was looking, but inside the home. It was a very different story. You know, one of the reasons why Jesus' words had power wasn't just because he was the Son of God. Because when people listened to him, I've used this, talked about this before, there was no space between his words and how he lived. Therefore, he had impact and power when he spoke. To the degree that there is a shrinking distance between what we say we believe and how we are living it out, there will come a power into our life that affects people. One of the things God wants to do is close the gap so that we become not a, we'll never be perfect, there's no way, but that's probably okay because then it keeps us from being proud and teaches us how to always have empathy for others who are struggling. In some ways, as Paul said, even though I, he talked about a, a particular thorn he had in the flesh, it, he, that's what he called it. He felt it was an affliction, and he wished God would take it away. And the Lord said to him, you know what? I'm probably not going to take that away. In fact, he said, I want to teach you instead how to view this thing in a way that reminds you always of your need for my grace. And then Paul ended up saying, well, Lord, then I understand that in my weakness, your strength is demonstrated to be sufficient. And, and um, I welcome your grace into my life. And there are maybe some areas in our lives where we've been damaged. You know what? Welcome his grace in there. The, the Lord wants to teach us to be a people who, who have a, a, a power in our lives because there's a congruity to what we say we believe and how we're seeking to live. 
And that is noticed. It affects others. It affects people who are, are watching. See, that is, that is the goal. Some people say, well, I'm not even going to bother because I don't want to let anybody down. So I, I'm just not even going to let it. No, the, the answer is not, I'm never going to say anything because I don't want to be a hypocrite. The answer is, I'm going to open up my life to God in such a way that by his grace, I will be able to start speaking for him and not feel like a hypocrite. But I, I, I will seek to be a growing man or a growing woman who is seeking to be an honest, authentic representation of a person who loves the Lord because we live in a world that needs to see people who love Jesus and who are trying to live a life that pleases and honors him. Again, not in a judgmental, self-righteous, angry way, but in a way that is authentic and real and committed. And Paul says, listen, I don't need you to pull back. I need you to step up. Timothy, I know you're young. I know part of you doesn't want to do this, but I am asking you to step forward and be willing to be an example and accept the influence I want to use you to have on other people. And then he goes on to say, not only in the way in which you, you uh, speak, not only in the way in which you are constructing your life, but then he adds a third piece. He says, I want to talk to you about your love. And I think at least what I'm, how I'm looking at this is I'm talking about how we treat people and the relational tendencies and patterns on our part. And you know what I've, I've realized is that, you know, we treat people differently. Some, some people, some of us are really good with our core relationships. Um, we, but it's, it's other people that we don't care that much about. And honestly, we're very happy with what we have, and so we're very thoughtless about others. There are others of us who, it's amazing, will treat people we barely know with great courtesy, but somehow feel permission to injure those freely with whom we are closest and share the most intimacy. That somehow that that relationship, relational intimacy gives us permission to be ugly and mean in ways that we would never do to people we barely know. Can you hear me? I say, these things ought not to be so. The Lord's going to challenge us on that because he cares about how, you know, I said, okay, love has to be cultivated. I mean, it's been like next year will be you know, um, getting close to 30 years. And uh, you, you, you have to reinvent your love, really. You really do. Um, I think the last service I said it was 30. I rounded it off. It's real close, right? But I was thinking, you, you, you got, you're going to have to, you can, if you're not careful, you start to take things for granted. And things that used to be very precious and meaningful to you, oh, yeah, I'm used to that. It doesn't mean anything to me. I treat it poorly. Sometimes we treat our greatest gifts poorly. We take them for granted until they're gone. And the Lord wants us to honor our most beautiful gifts and treat people in love. You know what Jesus said? Actually, Paul said this to all the, of us in the Lord's name. Look what he said. I'm going to put this up, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. He says, listen, I want you to, be imitate, I want you to imitate God. He said, I, I want you to imitate God. In fact, what he says, I want you to do it in everything that you do. Um, because you know what? Because you are dear children. You are his son and you are his daughter. And so I want you to, look at this. I want you to live a, live a life. You know, I mean, it's interesting because we were singing that song earlier. 
And there was a part of that, that fourth song that we sang where it says, I want to live a life of love. That was perfectly timed. <laughs> and, and, when, and, when, and I thought about that, I was thinking, oh, that, that's like a, oh, it's kind of a, a lyric, you know, I want to live a life of love, sappy, you know. What does that mean? No depth there. I thought, whoa, wait a second, hold on. That's exactly what he calls us to do. I want you to live a life of love, a life that is embedded in Jesus Christ and is filled with a willingness to live sacrificially even as he lived his life sacrificially for us. It's a life that is willing to not just be lived only for my needs or my self-interest. That's what he was getting at. I want you to live a life that's open to being sacrificial. Sometimes God calls us to love in, in a way that goes beyond what we want. Be like God. Imitate Jesus. That's what we're being told. And it's a beautiful thing. And I think that it has to start with the, the circles, the closest circles of our life, and then work its way outward. And you know what? If, if, we, if, I, if I take it one more step further, Paul says not only in your love, but he says also in your faith. Let me just quickly point this out that we're talking here about is our love for God. And I just want to make this point that, that I'm talking about how we have a relationship with the Lord spiritually and the vibrancy of our spiritual life. I'm talking about really having a love for God that affects how we live and love and how we decide things. Someone was asking me, well, how, you know, how do I do that? I said, you know what? One of the best ways is to get, get into his words. If you get into his words, I said, what will happen is um, he'll speak to you. The living God will speak to you through his words as you read them and think of them. And I thought, when we're, and the question is, are we listening? I said, listen for, and I use this phrase, listen for his directives, for his correctives, and his perspectives. His directives. He will show us what to do sometimes in our lives. He will speak to us through his words. Say, this is the way that you should go. We will hear it through his words. Sometimes this is who I want you to be. Sometimes we will hear his correctives. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. There, I'll use an example. There, uh, uh, maybe I have a, a ought in my heart against someone. I feel like they, I'm angry with them. I don't want to forgive them. And I feel pretty justified about not forgive, wanting to forgive them. And then I'm here, I start reading his word, and then all of a sudden I come across the spot that says, and you, if you want to be forgiven by me, we'll need to forgive one another. And then I, all of a sudden, I'm corrected by that word because all of a sudden I can't go, but Lord, I have to say pretty much, Lord, if I want your forgiveness and I need it always, then I must let go of this grievance. I must seek to trust you with it. How can I withhold forgiveness when you have not withheld it from me? Then all of a sudden his word begins to challenge me in area of, of my life. Same thing happens all the time. His words, when we live close to them, will challenge us. That sometimes his directives, his perspectives, it'll change the way we're thinking about something or about someone. His word is alive. You know, I was thinking about it. We invest, we need to invest time at soul work. I am amazed. And I think it's important because we will have crises in this life. There will be times when we will be hit so hard by life that it will knock us off of our feet. I was with someone just this couple weeks ago, and 
we were coming back from a place and they had no idea of what had happened the last few days and they turned on their phone and they found out that someone very close to them had just died. They had fallen down a stairway and died. And, and I just watched this person initially just devastated. And I was just trying to be a friend and a brother at that moment. And then I watched him stabilizing God. And I was reminded that there are, it's what you have below the waterline at crisis moments in life. We're all going to get rocks sometimes. But it's amazing how sometimes things can cause someone to crumble. But when you have a centered place in the Lord, what happens is even when you get hit, you kind of come back and all of a sudden you move forward in the Lord because there's something of substance spiritually in your life that holds you in that moment. And the Lord's presence is real and there's been work done. You know, I was thinking about this example. For example, look. Look in Luke 22 with me real quick. And, and this will just be an example of what I'm talking about. Crisis tends to reveal our true condition. And when we look at the difference between Jesus and the disciples, this is the, garden, the moment of the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus knows he's about ready to get, get arrested. They're going to be coming for him. He's going to get taken to the cross. There's all kinds of spiritual warfare going on around him. He knows he's about to be utterly humiliated, um, not just physically dominated and split open, but he's about to be utterly stripped down, naked, spit on, and hung. <laughs> and he's got the power to stop it, but he won't do it. And all he asks is for his disciples to just be with him. But they're tired. Look what happens. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed to do, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, would you just pray that you may not enter into temptation? And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw distance, and he knelt down and prayed. He said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me, but nevertheless not my will, but yours be done. And then the, an angel actually appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and then his sweat became like, like great drops of blood, as if they were like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, he came to his disciples and he found that they were sleeping because they were emotionally vanquished, uh, stretched in sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. Don't you understand? You need to be vigilant right now. I need you to be vigilant right now. And... Those of you who are familiar with the account, you know what happens next. While Jesus prays, his disciples slept. And when that moment came, when everything was on the line, as Gordon McDonald pointed out in his great book, The Resilient Life, he says, when their enemies came, Jesus acted with absolute dignity. And the disciples panicked. And they ran. Jesus acted in full wisdom. McDonald says, they acted out of instinct. And what see, when these moments hit, our instinct may be to run or to panic or to be afraid. And our instinct often pulls us away from God. And, you know, I was told to me when I was just a young follower of Jesus that there's like, Terry said to me, there are, there's like, there's two people in you now. You've got what the Bible calls them because you've welcomed the Lord into your life. You've got, because I was telling him, I'm struggling here. I'm having a hard time. He says, because you've got two men in you. You've got an old man and a new man. And they're at war with one another. And the one you feed the most is going to win this battle. 
and it's who we feed. What are we allowing into ourselves? Are we strengthening ourselves? Are we serious about it? The life that is embedded in, in, in prayer and is making room for God um, is going to have a tendency to respond more than react. So we respond rather than just reacting out of instinct and creating more problem. We, we tend to center ourselves and we respond out of a biblical place because we've been making an investment into something. It's like anything, I get, you know, people, I, I tell you this, it's the value of having these times in our lives where we are taking seriously what it means to be a growing person in God. We're paying attention to our soul. We're not just living for the things that are external. Jesus said, everything that you work for in this life, you're going to let go of someday. Build into that which is eternal. Do not lay up for yourself just treasure on this earth that will not last and cannot last and will be given away to somebody else. Don't ever think that your life consists only in the abundance of the things that you temporarily possess. But remember to live, live well for God and build on that which cannot be taken from you. Love the Lord and love people. Hold all things lightly. And I'm saying is, this is a time where God's calling a lot of us into a deeper place. That's the value of song in our life and having times of solitude. You hear me talk about all the time uh, about having these places in our lives where we can have long thoughts. There's so much noise in our culture. Everybody's saying something. We're always, we're inundated. We always got something in our ear. Going to have to have time to be alone with your thoughts before the Lord. How am I building, Lord? Am I seeking first your kingdom in my life? Am I investing properly? Help thou my unbelief, Lord Jesus. Strengthen my hand. Teach me your ways. Show me your paths for the season of my life. My ears are open to you. And Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice. Last thing Paul says is not only do I want you to be an example in the way in which you speak in the way in which you're building your life, in the way in which you love people, in the way in which you love God, in your, in your love and in your purity, but now, in your faith. But now he says in your purity. That's the fifth piece. And what he's talking about is the moral life. He's saying you're going to have to take these commands seriously. There are some things that God is saying to some of us, you know what? It's time to get free. It's, it's time. It's time to challenge it. It's time to live, live in my grace, but it's time to break out. And sometimes God's going to call us to upgrade some areas of our lives. Listen, everybody's running races these days. Do you notice that? A lot of races. Everybody's doing fundraisers, and that's a good thing, I suppose. And I hear a lot of people there, you know, training and, and stuff. People think nothing of training for a race. I got a project coming up. You know what? I'm going to have to make sure I get my sleep. I'm going to have to really get myself ready because there's going to be a lot of pressure on me at, jo at the job. And I'm really going to have to be intellect. I'm going to have to be mentally on my game. Or I've got a season where it's going to get really hard for me in class. And I'm going to really have to focus in right now. We get that. I'm in training right now. I'm trying to get in shape. So I'm really watching what I'm eating. And I'm trying to make sure that I'm consistent with my exercise. We get that. I've got a show. I've got something I'm going to have to demonstrate. So I'm really trying to up my game. I'm putting in the time. That is exactly what we're talking about spiritually. That is exactly it, except this matters more. It matters more. 
If we're going to follow him by his grace, we must seek to implement certain things in our lives that are going to produce the results. Got to put in the time. Got to put in the time. We say we believe. Say we're committed. This is our time to grow, to follow, to lay down principles, to build a good foundation, to build strength at the core. So let the winds come and the rains come, the storms come, come what may, and they will. But blessed is the one who builds their house on the rock. And he, who is that person but the person who hears these sayings of mine, Jesus said, he's, hears these words and implements them in their life. For their house will stand. God's calling some of us to upgrade our willingness to grow and to be an example. Not perfect, growing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we are before you, ever vulnerable, ever aware of our own contradictions. I guess to use the language of David, I would say my sin is ever before me. And yet I know you love us and you call us to a growing place because you care about people, the people we're going to touch, the people we're going to impact, the people who are, in some cases, not even yet born, the people who we're going to have a, a, a meeting with that's going to change our life, a conversation that you set up for us to have. It's going to change everything. Lord, we're just, we just, I just pray that we would be, a, be men and women, young and old, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. That does not matter because we don't control our destiny. We, 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 we control nothing, really but the choices we make in the now. And, and so, Lord, I, I pray that our heart would be serious about following you. Even as David said, as the deer pants for the water, so the water brook, so my soul pants after you. I pray that you put a hunger for the things that are right in your eyes, inside of us, and give us courage to pursue them for our benefit and for the benefit of others. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.